Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by the fine folks over at NetHealth. So if you want to provide better patient care and increase your revenue this year, then be sure to check out Redoc powered by XFIT, which is a cloud-based, fully integrated EMR and billing solution. Plus, you can opt in to completely outsource billing services to optimize your revenue. So imagine your billing, your coding, your compliance, having experts take all of that off of your hands and report to you so you can do what you want to do and what you love to do, and that's treat your patients. So to learn more about it, check them out at nethealth.com healthy. Okay, on to today's episode. This was such a great episode. I'm so excited to have her on, Dr. Carolyn Baxter. So she is a physical therapist for the United States Ski and Snowboard and spends roughly a third of the year traveling with the U.S. free ski halfpipe team to domestic and international competitions. Most recently, she wrapped up a trip to Pyeongchang, South Korea, for the 2018 Olympic Games, where her team brought home gold, silver, and bronze medals. When not traveling with the team, Kara works out of the Center of Excellence in Park Park City, Utah, with all U.S. ski and snowboarding disciplines, developing long-term rehab plans and collaborating with the high-performance strength and conditioning team to optimize athletes' health and success. She has a particular interest in athlete brain health and concussion rehabilitation, And in the summer of 2017, Kara partnered with Dr. Jeffrey Kutcher and implemented the first sports neurology pre-participation exams for the U.S. free ski halfpipe team. Additionally, Kara has served as a guest lecturer on concussion rehabilitation at the University of Utah and presented at the 2017 Medical Emergencies in Skiing and Snowboarding Conference. So what did we talk about today? Of course, we talked about her time at the Winter Olympic Games. And, but more importantly, we talked about how did she get there? So how her volunteer work brought her to the games, amongst other things. What to expect with sports medicine on the road in comparison to the clinic? There's some big differences there. And how does she prioritize self-care in the face of long working hours during competition season and her top moments as a clinician from the Olympic Games? This was a great conversation. Kara will give you the best tips all that you need to go on and work at these high-level sports uh, competitions. So everyone, enjoy this episode. I got so much out of it, and have a great day. Hi, Kara. Welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you on. Thanks for having me, Karen. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. And now we are going to be talking about your work at the Olympic Games. And so this is the Winter Olympics. So can you give the listeners a little bit more of your backstory on how you got to the Olympic Games? Yeah, sure. I'll take you way back. I grew up competitive figure skating. So competitive sports and winter sports in particular were in my blood. And I had the classic, I was injured. I had physical therapy all the time. So I wanted to become a PT track. So I went to Northeastern University in Boston and knew right away I wanted to work in sports med. So I got involved with 
uh, Mass General in their sports medicine department and made some amazing connections there and had some fabulous mentors um, that I've carried with me throughout my post-grad career too. And they really helped to open some doors for me with connections out west. Um, I started working in a private practice in Park City, Utah, right after graduating. I moved out here. And then about a year into that, I started volunteering with U.S. Ski and Snowboard and basically signing up for any and every trip they would throw my way. And uh, eventually, I got my foot in the door for a full-time position there. So I'm now the team physical therapist for the U.S. Free Ski Half Pipe team in particular. So they're the ones I travel on the road with, and they're who I went to the Olympic Winter Games with in Pyeongchang, South Korea. And when I'm home, I'm working in Park City at U.S. Ski and Snowboard with all of our rehabbing disciplines there. And I think one thing to note here in your story is that you volunteered Yes. For these Um, positions. So can you kind of expand on that? Because I think a lot of people think that you just get a job. You just go and apply and you get the job. Wouldn't that be nice if that's how it works? It would be amazing. (laughs) Make things a lot simpler. Sports medicine for PTs, I felt like was very glamorized and it's cool. I mean, saying that I went to the Olympics is really cool. (laughs) But I think what's missed is the crazy long hours that you have to put in on and off the road uh, and the amount of hard work you have to put in before those positions are even a possibility. So I was volunteering as a student. I worked at the Boston Marathon at the finish line for a few years. And as soon as I came out here, I was just finding every and any opportunity to get involved with community outreach. I provided medical care at some of our local races. And then, of course, once U.S. Ski and Snowboard was an option, again, I just took advantage of any opportunity they were willing to give me and and used each trip as a way to prove myself and my abilities. And, of course, I learned so much from every trip I went on that by the time a full-time position was available, I felt equipped for it. And and they had confidence in my skill set too. But sports medicine is very much a world of needing to prove yourself and make those connections first before an opportunity of having a paid position is going to be placed in front of you. And how long did that take? So from graduation to where you are now going to the Olympics, what is the timeline? Um, I, I was just really fortunate. You know, you work as hard as you can, but at the end of the day, it's, it's the people you know. And so I worked hard and set myself up for, uh, to not close any doors and then just met some people really early on working in private practice that recognized my passion for winter sports and high performance type stuff. So they offered me the volunteer position about, like I said, about a year into that private practice. And so for a full year and a half, I was taking unpaid leave from my full-time position in private practice and volunteering often two weeks at a time. Um, My first trip was to Whistler, Canada. And again, I'm just, I'm working around the clock at these camps. It sounds awesome. Yes, I got to go to Whistler, but didn't do much exploring. I was pretty much on the Mogul's Hill all day and then doing treatments all night. Um, So it really took a very high level of dedication, but I did that for a year and a half and kept in touch with the medical director for US Ski and Snowboard the whole time and made it very clear that I wanted that full-time position. And so after 
a year and a half of volunteering that finally came to fruition. And how did you make it clear that you were really interested in that position? Because I feel like a lot of women maybe wouldn't have taken that initiative or felt like, oh, I'm being too pushy. So what advice do you have for maybe young clinicians, specifically young female clinicians who might have that mindset? You have to be persistent. There's no way I would have gotten this role without being persistent. If an email wasn't answered, I was emailing again in a week or two to follow up. Um, I was asking questions like, I want this position, but what are you looking for in a clinician to make them an ideal candidate? What can I do? Am I doing enough? Do you have any feedback for me? Being open to feedback without getting defensive is big. You have to be very flexible in these positions. You have to be looking at things with a very wide lens. Um, Often you're working outside of a traditional PT role. So being able and flexible enough to play those roles and also take that criticism and grow with it is huge. Um, So those would be the two key points I'd say for any, especially female wanting to get involved and and don't get discouraged. I mean, there were definitely days where, where people would make comments and it would really get me down and I had to learn not to take things so personally and to keep my confidence up. And, uh, eventually it worked out well for me. I would say so. And if you're part of this, so you're part of the U.S. ski and snowboarding teams, correct? Correct. Yep. So does that automatically mean that you get to go to the Olympics or is there more to it than that? So if there are people listening thinking, oh, I want to go to the Olympics, I want to be a PT in the Olympics, how does it work? Yeah, it does not mean you're automatically going to go to the Olympics. You So we have an amazing clinician at USG and Snowboard who is our senior rehab director and she is in-house and she does amazing work. She works her butt off and she's working with some very complex cases, but she has to be in the clinic. I mean, just because the Olympics are going on doesn't mean people aren't getting hurt. So we need someone very skilled at home to work with them. So she's been with the company for five years and she's never gone to an Olympic Games. Um, there's development positions that, uh, people take early on again to kind of prove themselves and prove their skills. Those positions are not going to go to the Olympic games. And even if you get a job with a team, um, who's kind of on track to go to the games, you can be the greatest clinician in the world, but if you don't have that flexibility and that, that personality to blend with a group and meet each athlete on their own level, it's not going to work and they're not going to send you to the games. <laughs> there's, there's so many complexities to it. Um, again, the, the biggest thing I can say is, is be passionate, be flexible, be willing to take criticism and be willing to grow with it. And uh, I think that'll lead you to the most success. And I think that's great advice. So thank you for that. Now, the games this year were February 4th to the 26th. So that's a long time. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. How does your work at the games differ from your everyday schedule when you're in the clinic? So I think this is a point that's not really well understood by people who aren't working in sports medicine. Being a clinician on the road is almost like an entirely different profession than being a clinician in uh, just at home in a clinic to the point where I had been traveling for basically three months straight from Uh, right after Thanksgiving through the games and then transitioning back home into the clinic where we're looking at much more long-term rehab. It's it's very different. So 
on the road, you're triaging. Is this a medical emergency? Do we need to take this person, this athlete to the hospital? Um, is this kind of a, a level two? Can we deal with it just with the team doctor and myself? Is this something that's really not a big deal and we really need to focus on the psychological aspect um, and just kind of make the athlete feel good and feel confident and ready for the competition tomorrow? Um, it, everything is in the immediacy. When you're at home, that's not the case at all. You're looking at, I mean, we deal, the majority of our injuries are ACL injuries. So you're looking at nine months plus of a of rehab. So you have to map out an entire nine months. So every day you have a specific plan, every week you have a specific plan, every month and every nine months. Whereas on the road, every single day is going to look different. And I can't plan my treatments for tomorrow because I don't know what their training is going to look like. I don't know what their fatigue level is going to look like. I don't know how they're going to sleep tonight. They're probably going to be jet lagged. It's impossible to plan for. So again, that's where that flexibility comes into play there. So two entirely different worlds, even though I'm still practicing under the umbrella of being a physical therapist. And let's talk about taking care of yourself at these games. We had spoken before we went on the air and you said, oh, it's just, you're running around, you're not sleeping. What do you do as the therapist to take care of you while you're taking care of everyone else? Because if you're not good, it doesn't do anything for the team. Yes. And that's a lesson I learned very early on. I didn't realize that. And I was so excited to get the opportunity to volunteer with these teams. And I just wanted to prove myself and I wanted to be there hundred percent for the athletes and always make myself available And then after a week, maybe, I realized I was completely exhausted, completely burnt out, didn't feel like myself. And I had this kind of like coming to Jesus moment with myself where I was like, I am not approaching this appropriately. So, you know, I'm working 14 hour days, uh, you know, five, six, seven days in a row. So it's really hard to carve out time for myself, but I have to, even if it's a five minute walk or, um, taking the team car out to run an errand so I have a moment of quiet time or finding time to spin on a bike. I've really gotten into headspace and meditation. It's something that I was telling athletes to trial and see how they liked it. And then I realized one day that maybe I should practice what I preach and try it out for myself. And I I love it. It's something that's worked really well for me. Um, Finding time to read and honestly, just totally check out. I'm a huge fan of planet earth (laughs) the day on the road because it's totally mindless and I can fall asleep to it. Um, but it's really those, it's those little things eating well, they all add up and they make me such a better clinician for my athletes. It's, it sounds so cliche, but it's so true. You can't take care of someone else if you're not taking care of yourself. I believe in that wholeheartedly. This job taught me that very early on. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like you really need that little bit of alone time, whether you said it's five minutes or a couple of hours. Yeah, you need it's, that it's to very rare to a couple of hours. Yeah. It's on it. Like there are some days where it's, you're sleeping, right? <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, but again, a difference between um, being an in-clinic physical therapist and on the road. On the road, I have to be available to athletes 24-7. I mean, if someone's getting sick and vomiting at three in the morning, I have to, I have to be there for them. That's, that's my role. So I've had people knock on my door at uh, 11, 12 at night or five, six in the morning. Um, so it's very, it is, it's very hard to carve out those times, but, um, 
we had this joke at the at the games that kind of um, was true for my whole time on the road. It's like if you have an opportunity to exercise or there's food in front of you, even if you're not hungry, you exercise or you eat it because <laughs> you never know the next chance you're going to have to exercise, to eat, to sleep, you know? So again, just throwing your routine out the window and, and going again, I sound like a broken record, but going back to that flexibility and, and making sure you are prioritizing yourself so you can be there for your team. And, and I would also think that the way you interact with the athletes is much different on the road than in the clinic because you don't know what your treatments are going to be, but you want to be there for a treatment, for a warm-up, for a Therex, kind of throughout the day, all day for, from February 4th to the, 6th, to the 26th. Yes. Yep, absolutely. And I tried to make that very clear to them. I think every single day I was telling them, I am at the Olympics for you. That is, that is the only reason I get to be in Pyeongchang. And I think it's easy uh, for anyone going to the Olympic Games to get caught up and to treat it as this is my Olympic experience. And of course, for me, the Olympics is something I dreamed about from an early, like literally since I was set six or seven as a figure skater and then as a PT student and a clinician. So yes, it, it's very exciting. And it is in a way my Olympic experience, but reminding yourself that it wouldn't be an Olympic experience without the athletes. So letting the athletes know whatever they needed, I was going to be there for them, whether it was a warm up or a PT treatment, or I, I can't tell you how often I would just get requests to go to the dining hall and just have them blow off some steam or talk about how nervous they were or talk about the latest Super Bowl results and totally get their mind off of it, which is completely different to how I would approach uh, treating in the clinic, you know, I'd, I'd be very organized and, and goal oriented and have a, that long term plan in mind and on the road that just doesn't necessarily happen. Yeah. And we also spoke a little bit beforehand. Um, and you had mentioned that, you know, because the Super Bowl was happening at the same time, and you're a Patriots fan. Yeah. Um, and I'm an Eagles fan. So <laughs> yeah, the boys like to rib me quite a bit. Um, the, the better team won. Uh-huh, I, <laughs> That's all I I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I would beg to differ with that. Um, luckily, one of the girls on the team, I think she's a bigger Pats fan than I am, which is saying something. So we could kind of uh, share in our misery together. But boy, those boys, we spent many a treatment session going back and forth about what went wrong and, and how come the Patriots didn't cheat this time around. And, and yeah. there, was some, there were some words shared for sure. Um, all right. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> I know I had a patient who just got like he I had seen him for like a year or so for for one injury and then he had another and he came back. He's like, you know, I was seriously contemplating going to another PT that was, I knew was not an Eagles fan. <laughs> <laughs> I respect that. I have so much respect for that person. And I was like, I am not going to gloat. All I'm going to say is, how about those eagles? And that's it. That's all I'm going to say. Like, I'm not going to come in with my eagle sweatshirt on to treat them, you know? I would have with the Patriots one, but... On that note, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, NetHealth. PTs, what do you hope to accomplish in 2018? I bet providing even better patient care and increasing revenue are top on the list. First, expand your visit capacity. Then get paid for your services, ramp up patient engagement, and eliminate worries about documentation and compliance. The good news is there's one solution that brings it all to the table. Redoc, powered by XFIT, is a cloud-based, fully integrated EMR and billing solution. 
Imagine PT billing, coding, compliance experts taking the back office work off your hands and reporting to you. Learn more about Redoc and complete revenue cycle management services at nethealth.com slash healthy. We've sort of alluded to here as we've been talking, the differences between being at the Olympics and being in the clinic. Can you give me a little insight into maybe some of the higher level differences aside from how, you know, you're treating your patient's goals versus what's happening right here, right now. But how about with the other professionals within the clinic versus working with those professionals at the Olympics? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Olympics, I, for whatever reason, just automatically created such a family feel everyone was coming together working for working towards a common goal of team usa being successful it was so amazing to be part of such a passionate medical group and just overall usk and snowboard staff it was truly infectious and it was amazing to see everyone coming together and sharing in um, not only the athlete successes but some of the heartbreaks that we found too um in the clinic, and I think this is true for sports medicine kind of across the board, I just think there's room for a lot more collaboration when we're not necessarily in those really exciting times that kind of foster that family feel. Um, at USC Amsterdam Word, we're really making a push for more collaboration between the physical therapists, the athletic trainers, the nutritionists, the sports psychologists, and the strength and conditioning coaches. Because each and every one of those people have so much value to add to the success of the athlete. And I find myself getting frustrated sometimes because when any one of those people are critiqued, whether it's the nutritionist or a physical therapist or whoever, um, sometimes it can come across as a personal attack. And my belief just as the profession as a whole is you have to have those productive debates to become stronger as a profession and to, to strengthen what we're able to do from a sports medicine perspective. So we actually just started um, <laughs> these high-performance collab meetings short for collaboration um, every two weeks just to try and encourage people to kind of drop the letters at their end of the name at the door and come in with an open mind and, and really challenge your own way of, of treating, with, uh, treating an athlete or working with an athlete um, questioning every intervention you throw their way and, and your rationale for it. And I just can't tell you how much I've learned from everyone that I've gotten to work with on the road and at USC and Snowboard at home, whether it's another physical therapist or a team physician or the athletic trainer or the strength coaches, they all, again, have so much value that just being humble and being open-minded can really go a long way for the success of the athlete, especially during those more complex rehabs, again, when it's not this really glamorous environment where someone's going for a gold medal. Maybe they're just struggling with their range of motion and they've been stuck for three weeks, you know, versus getting frustrated. Um, I think it's so important to just come together and collaborate and um, ultimately keep the progress of the athlete in mind and the progress of sports medicine in mind. I love that. And do you think that they would allow maybe a PT from New York to Skype in on that? <laughs> Absolutely. Or it, would you that are not be welcome okay. to join our collabs? <laughs> would that some... be weird? <laughs> not at all. I'm again totally open-minded. Uh, I think different perspectives are so worthwhile. I 
love interacting with anyone who just makes me stop and think. Uh, I, I, it's human nature when someone challenges you to, you know, those first couple of seconds, you get really defensive. Um, but the, I find myself stopping and thinking, and you know, you're right. I don't know why I do it that way. Or I haven't ever thought of it like that. Um, and that's my most favorite part about my job and working in sports medicine is, is when you stop and think and you realize that maybe what you've been doing isn't the best and, and learning to collaborate with all of the talented people around you to come up with a better, more efficient treatment plan. And that's how you grow as a clinician and Absolutely. as a person. Absolutely. If you're not so, changing the way you're treating on a regular basis, you're doing something wrong. Listen, if you're, if you're treating someone the same as the day you graduated from PT school mm-hmm. to even six months later, a year later, God forbid, 20 years later, you've got to do some serious, serious soul searching. Absolutely. Because something is not right. You have to be comfortable with that. Um, You know, the literature is constantly changing. It doesn't mean what you were just doing for the last year was wrong, but there's, you know, there's always better ways of doing things. And I I think it's so important to challenge yourself on a regular basis to change and grow and, and work with the people around you, whether they have the same degree as you or they don't. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. And yeah, I would totally Skype into one of those. So just cool. yeah, let's do it. Calendar. Now let's talk about your moments at the games. Okay. So what, what are your, let's say top three moments as a physical therapist at the games, not as a person, because in the spectacle of the games, we can all imagine how amazing that is. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. your three top three moments as a working PT at the game games? Yeah, there's so many to choose from. But one that stands out is Alex Ferreira. He got second place at um, in the men's halfpipe finals at the Olympics. And he had his first major injury early season in the fall. And uh, he came out to Utah and had his surgery. And it was a low point for him for sure. And we spent so much time talking about how it doesn't change his ultimate goal of succeeding at the Olympics. It just changes his path a little bit. And um, I worked with him on a, on a strength and conditioning programming. I worked with him on his physical therapy. Um, we got sports psych involved for sure. And so to see him grow from that low point throughout the season and to see him ramping up his success and then ultimately land on the podium at the Olympics was just an unbelievable transformation to witness as a clinician. And just to play a small part of that was so powerful for me. So I've got to really hand it to Al. He's a, he's a great, great guy. And I'm so excited for what the future holds for him after going through a season like this and, and exuding that mental toughness. So that would be one. I think my second one is kind of the reverse of that. So someone who is having a great season and showed so much potential for the Olympic games and just took the gnarliest crash and finals and it just like stripped him away of his dream of an Olympic medal. And it was pure heartbreak. You know, Alex and David had just landed on the podium and I was working with this athlete who had a pretty serious injury um, and being there in the acute phase and seeing that raw emotion and, and learning how are we going to 
triage this. You know, we have a head injury, we have severe back pain, um, we have potentially a ligament rupture. What are we going to work with first? How are we going to keep the athlete down? So being involved with that and working with a team physician and our team neurologist um, and his girlfriend and his parents, it was awesome just to, again, feel like we were working for um, – for the better of the athlete, we were really coming together to create the best plan possible for him. And then seeing how he transformed his mindset after the games and began to look forward to future events and, and kind of rework some of his goals for the last bit of the season this year and how he was approaching next year again, just so powerful. And I just can't tell you how both physically and mentally tough these half-pipe athletes are. They impress me every single day. And uh, that whole experience with this particular athlete was was incredible. I, as heartbreaking as it was, uh, it was so powerful for me as a clinician um, and just a person. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting that these top moments were just all about the human experience of the games. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking the same thing as you just said, like, God, these athletes are like superhuman. You know, they are just so, it's their passion, it's their athleticism, it's their mental toughness, their emotional toughness that can bring them kind of through these games, whether it be for good or, or not so good. Mm-hmm. And, and I can understand why those would be your sort of top moments or top takeaways from the games. It's what, what, what wonderful uh, memories for you to have and great stories about the resiliency of human beings. Absolutely. I mean, we all know going to the Olympics is hard, but being there brings that understanding to an entirely different level. You just can't possibly comprehend what these athletes are going through during those two weeks. They've worked their entire lives for this moment um, and then things aren't going to be perfect. So watching them work through that is nothing short of amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, what a thrill, what an absolute thrill and such an honor for you as the, as their therapist and confidant and, you know, you're like their person at the games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, these people that I went to the games with, I, I can't imagine, not staying in contact with them for years and years to come. It's, it's just such a unique experience that we all came together and shared and uh, nothing, nothing will ever take that away. It's, it's awesome. That's fantastic. And before we wrap up with my last question, what would, what would you want the listeners to take away from our discussion today? Uh, if sports medicine is, is something you truly want to get into be passionate about it. Take advantage of any opportunity out there because you never know uh, what door that's going to open for you. Be flexible. Um, be willing to go above and beyond. And yeah, the days are long and really hard sometimes, but it's so worth it. So if anyone's considering going the sports med route, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's been so rewarding for me. Fantastic. And now the last question that I always ask my guests is, knowing where you are now in your life and your career, what advice would you give yourself as a new grad? I think I would tell myself to never settle with being bored. I think in private practice, I found my place of comfort. And yes, I was volunteering with USC and Snowboard, um, but those were intermittent trips and 
And I found, I think I kind of rested on my laurels for a little too long. Um, so never allow yourself to get bored is I think ultimately what I would tell myself, keep pushing myself, keep finding those opportunities because ultimately every opportunity that I took led to something awesome. You know, I never regretted volunteering for, uh, you know, whether if it was for US ski and snowboard in Whistler or just our, our local community events and, and doing some health and wellness educations. Um, you meet some amazing people that way. Uh, it keeps you stimulated in your profession and it helps our physical therapy profession on a whole grow. And that's ultimately what we want to do as a clinician. Great advice. And now if people want to find you, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter. Instagram is also a pretty safe bet. My handle is for both is C-A-R-A double underscore Baxter, B-A-X-T-E-R. Uh, I got sassed for that on the last podcast I did with Jess Schwartz because she didn't understand why I had a double underscore. And the why reason is... That? Why do you have a double underscore? I know. because It used to be Kara J. Baxter, J being my initial for my middle name. Uh -huh. But my dear friends started calling me Courage, which was not well received. <laughs> so I went for the double underscore because... I guess there's another Kara Baxter out there with one underscore. So that's the Got best it. I came up with. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. And I'm then Jess Schwartz on this one. Why the two? <laughs> I know. I know. Um, email. Email is great too. C-B-A-X-T-E-R at U-S-S-A dot org. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences uh, with myself and with all the listeners uh, in your Olympic experience. And it sounds like you had just the, uh, a wonderful time. And I'm sure you will get to another Olympic Games in, in four years, three years, yeah. technically. Be three years, Beijing. four years. Beijing 2022. We're Beijing. already working towards it. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for taking the time out and yeah. coming on. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. It's a pleasure. And everyone, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. A huge thanks to Dr. Kara Baxter for coming on the podcast and sharing her experience and her advice on how to be part of these high-level competitions, how she got to the Winter Olympics. So a huge thanks to Kara. And of course, a huge thanks to our sponsor for today's episode, NetHealth. So with NetHealth, you can expand your visit capacity, get paid for your services, ramp up your patient engagement, and eliminate worries about documentation and compliance. You can do all of this through Redoc powered by XFIT, which is a cloud-based, fully integrated EMR and billing solution. To learn more about Redoc and the complete revenue cycle management services, check them out at nethealth.com healthy. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.